All right, today we have a very special single topic, and I'm here with uh, Razi Bakan, who is spokesperson and geneticist uh, associated with Traitwell. And we're going to talk about DNA and its potential to find out who has maybe worse risk with COVID-19. How are you, Razib? I mean, I don't have COVID-19, so. <laughs> yeah, you're already ahead of the game right there. So tell me if somebody wanted to check their DNA, um, and we'll talk about the science behind it and the privacy and all that, but just start out with what would they do if they wanted to know today, what would somebody do to find out if their DNA suggests a higher risk for COVID-19. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, basically um, within the last six months, there's been a lot of research um, on COVID-19 and people have looked at populations of people who have um, been hospitalized, not hospitalized, they're infected, not infected, and um, tried to figure out what the susceptibilities were. And there was a bunch of genetic hits that came up in the literature, um, genome-wide associations. Some of your listeners have probably heard about those. Um, there's one on chromosome three um, that basically, if you have the susceptibility allele, which basically means, okay, you got a marker that says you're more susceptible, you're about two times as likely to be having severe COVID, which means hospitalized, you know, it's, 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 a, it's not just the flu, okay? Yeah. Now, help me with these statistics. Should I really care about doubling my risk because you're doubling such a small number? Would mm -hmm. I even know the difference? Depends on what your other risks are, probably. Like okay. if you're if you're if you're 18, you're asking a very good question <laughs> in terms okay. of what are you talking about, Razib? Right? Um, if you are 72, let's say you can't retire for some reason. So I'm, you know, obviously I'm not a medical doctor. I'm not making recommendations, but life is about trade-offs. Um, I feel like our, our, our discourse forgets that. Um, sometimes you need to work. Um, we need to have people in the supermarkets. You know, we need to have people driving trucks. We need to have people doing various things. Um, but there are certain risks um, that go with that, and the risks are not the same for everybody. If you have type 2 diabetes, if you have a heart condition, if you're immunocompromised, we can go down through the list. A lot of these are associated with genetics, right? So, so right now, there's a website that people can go to and enter not only their DNA, if they have that file, but also their comorbidities. Yeah. Tell, what, is it, what is the website and how, who accesses it and how? Yeah, it's COVID, covidforecaster.com. Um, it's associated with Traitwell. And so um, if you go to at Traitwell on Twitter, T-R-A-I-T-W-E-L-L, Basically, what we're doing there is we're taking the information from your DNA and the information that you're giving based on, you know, I mean, you could lie about your weight. Um, that's up to you. But, uh, you know, uh, we there's been a lot of information of, of the comorbidities. And so that affects your risk calculus as well, as well as your genetics. So, um, you know, let's be entirely frank. If I had to know about your risk on chromosome three, that particular position, as opposed to whether you're an 85 year old with heart disease, obviously I'm going to look for an 85 year old with heart disease. Right. So I, I don't want to dismiss um, environment or the, the quote non-genetic aspect. So, so how, um, how accurate should we assume that this is? I mean, it's impossible to know yet, right? Yeah, yeah. So we're still getting information. So I would say, let me let me speak to the genetics part uh, because uh, the environmental part is, you know, environment's environment um, and depends on your test population. So the genetic part, uh, there was a paper that came out in New England Journal of Medicine using Spanish and Italian data. 
uh, in the spring um, and Spanish and Italian hospitals in Spain, hospitals in Italy. They found five to 10% of people um, in Western Europe had this risk locus, um, had this risk marker, right? And this is severely associated on the order of about like two, two, you know, odds ratio of like, you know, two, a factor of two um, against your just general risk. They replicated that, 23andMe, the direct-to-consumer genomics company, they replicated that result with um, a much larger American sample set. It's about the same number, um, like almost two, right? And so um, if you're asking me personally, you know, one publication, even if it's peer-reviewed, who knows? But the fact that they found it in another much larger population in the fall in another country suggests to me that, yes, there are underlying genetic factors around that position and also a, a, a secondary effect, like a 25% chance increase risk on a chromosome 9. So, you know, most of these characteristics have like all these little genetic effects. So for example, height or intelligence. Um, what we're here, we're, we're doing here is focusing on something that's kind of common. So 5 to 10% is kind of common um, and has a, has a non-trivial effect. Oh, okay. And now, the public has gotten this great lesson in science that yeah. non-scientists, you know, hadn't had until COVID. And so we, we've trained the public that there's, you know, the gold standard, you know, uh, random controlled testing, and that can tell you something useful. And if there are two of them, that's better. Where would you put this on the scale of 1 to 10, where 10 is a randomized controlled, uh, let's say, a reproducible study? So that's a 10. Where where's your reliability for for this? Because this is a different kind of animal. Yeah, um, you know those are the gold standard. Uh, yeah, I put it like seven and a half because it's been in large populations in different countries, uh, and also I mean, you know, this isn't like a casual trait. Like people really care, and they're tracking this in hospitals, right? Right. So so the the odds are good that you're onto something. There's just always a caveat that. You know, science changes and what we know changes. So how do you deal with um, the the privacy element? Uh, I know en enough about it that if I've taken a 23andMe or some genealogy uh, kinds of sites where you've already uploaded maybe your DNA, if you've done 23andMe as I have, I can just download it from my site. My app lets me do that. And then I can just upload it to your site. And I actually did that. And it, it's you know, minutes. I mean, there's no friction. Mm -hmm. There's no friction at all. Just mm -hmm. download and upload. Mm -hmm. and well, I mean, you know, yeah. I mean, you know, obviously, everyone has to take that seriously. Um, you know, there's only okay. Let's be like entirely frank. Like, make reasonable, rational calculations. I've talked to engineers. Um, it seems like making a good faith effort at that. Um, and also in terms of uh, in terms of the privacy. I mean, I think honestly, um, the weakest position is not the direct-to-consumer genomics companies, um, it's the hospitals um, in terms of uh, database breaks and stuff like that. I, you know, I, This is just a, a pet peeve of mine. I don't know why hospitals don't get much um, flack for this because uh, a lot of these companies have had issues, but um, hospital databases are notoriously creaky. So in terms of privacy, I think there are a lot of low-hanging fruit out there, and I don't want to minimize it, but um, in the grand well, context... Yeah. But, but but if you're comparing your risk of losing your DNA to I don't know the internet or something, uh, how controlled is your is the app? I mean, do you, do you feel that you've got a good handle on that privacy wise? Uh, 
Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, uh, you think it's in, it's encrypted in a database that's uh, you know not. It's not like I mean, SQL injections, all the standard things. You know, um, we did we did check for that. Okay. Um, yeah, my my thing on DNA and privacy is that uh, I'm not going to try. I'm, I'm making my DNA. Anybody who wants my DNA, I'll make it public. I'll I'll publish my I'll publish my old DNA. But I don't recommend that for anybody else. It's just a personal choice. I just don't think that should be a secret. Um, now, is it possible? Somebody asked me this question when they knew I was going to talk to you. Could, could this sort of thing be done in the future with a maybe a little def, different technique to find out if somebody would have a bad reaction to the vaccine? Yeah, but the data has to come in. So, you know, so unfortunately, right? Not with any data that we have. But is, is there the the process could identify that there's a DNA? Yeah. Correlation? Yeah. Would so you would, would you suspect that there is? Yes, I'm and, gonna be honest. Like most things that are that are biological have some heritable, you know. Right. Um, a lot of times we don't care. Um, let me let me tell you a story. Um, my I had a friend who died um, uh, induction into the Marines from the anthrax vaccine. Hmm. Um, this happens every year, but it's a risk that we take, hmm. right? Um, right? Don't talk about it very much. I know about it because friend, right? Um, Probably, if I had to bet, he had some very rare mutation that doesn't have any problem otherwise. Yeah, right. You can't predict that. No. So anybody who's joining us uh, now, there's already a, a site where you can put in your DNA and other uh, comorbidities. It's called covidforecaster.com. It's uh, exactly like it sounds. Spell it the way it sounds. And... Um, do you have any uh, any other warnings or caveats uh, about using the system? Uh, my my take, based on what I've seen, is that I would uh, add it to the many other risk uh, risk management variables that you're weighing when you're deciding everything from, you know, how how much should I fight to be first in line to get that vaccine, to how much should I you know go crazy on social distancing versus you know being a normal responsible person. Uh, but I wouldn't say it's the, you would agree that you can't say it's a hundred percent anything for any one person. It's yeah. just, just one more variable to add to a lot of variables. Yeah. These sorts of things are updating and changing over time based on the information we have. Right. So you update your priors based on what you have. Um, we know so much more in six months in a good way and in a bad way um, about this sort of issue. So that, that's one thing I would say it's always an evolving thing. Your DNA doesn't change, but the information we have about it does. So um, so this is great. Uh, I just wanted to keep this short and tight, let everybody know that there's a way they can upload their DNA. Now, the, does the company commit that it doesn't re, it doesn't sell the DNA, it doesn't release yeah. the DNA? Yeah. Sta standard, standard standard. So, so you'd have the same risk that you have where it is, which is if it's already at 23andMe, it's already in somebody's database. That this, this is the reason that I don't obsess about protecting my DNA. I just don't think it's a thing. You know, in the, in the same way that I don't think I would ever have privacy in digital communication. I mean, I want it, <laughs> but I ha but I live my life like it's not really a thing. So it's the same standard I use. So it's covidforecaster.com. Razib Khan, thank you very much for uh, sharing this with us. And it's uh, one more tool. We'll add, it, we'll add it to the good news that's coming out on COVID. 
because we got enough bad news. All right. And uh, have a great day. Mm.